It's a Thursday. I'm Mr. Warren Hayes. So of course that means that we have the elements that we need to have an AEW Dynamite review. Hi, welcome. This is what we do on Thursdays. We recap the previous night's Dynamite and we are going to be talking about the July 19 Dynamite since today I am recording this on July 20. You see how all this comes together and just makes perfectly perfect a perfect amount of sense when you line them up all one next to each other. Isn't life grand like that? Welcome. I hope you are having a wonderful week so far and that you enjoyed uh, AEW Dynamite. We're going to be talking about that. But first, leave a like or uh, on the uh, YouTube channel here on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes. Or even if you, on top of it all, not just leave a, a like, but uh, hey, subscribe. There's a bunch of things going on on the channel these days and for the next couple of weeks. Because yes, you know, I don't know if you know this. There's the AEW Dynamite review that I do every Thursday. Then on Sundays, I do the AEW Collision review, right? And I do that every Sunday as well. So right then and there, if you're into AEW and you want to hear my thoughts, well, that's, that's, what, that's what you do. Of course, there's, you know, the Mr. Warren Hayes show proper on, on Tuesdays. But on top of it all, right now I'm doing a G1 Climax 33 daily recap show. So I'm doing the whole thing from A to Z, I've started, we've got four nights in. I'm gonna be back tomorrow, July 21st, to do that day. And and you know, if you want, you know, results, analysis, thoughts, predictions, not maybe predictions, but prognostications. How about that? That's a better word. Well, you, you want to do that. So subscribing to the channel on YouTube or even on your audio feed as well, following, joining, uh, you know, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, the whole nine yards. If you, you know, you're going to get a ton of content, a ton of great wrestling content from your boy. Uh, it's a busy time of year. It's a fun time of year. Wrestling rules. And if you love wrestling, uh, I, I'm, I'm your destination source. How about that? Well, I pat myself on the back a little, little harder than what I usually do. I'm your destination source if you're into pro wrestling. Now that I got all that, these selling points out of it, I'm looking at myself and, you know, if you're not watching this right now, you don't see how fucking scruffy my beard is right now. I'm letting myself go. It's a disaster. Hey, let's talk about uh, last night's Dynamite uh, <laughs> before we get into things that I shouldn't be getting into on a public forum regarding my hygiene. July 19, 2023, from the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts, 8,520 distributed tickets according to WrestleTix as of a few minutes before I started recording this uh, for a, and they had set up the arena for just, uh, well, just shy of 9,500 seats. Um, I, I, look, this is a better turnout for a Dynamite taping than what they usually do. You know, the median is around 4,000 tickets, 3,500, 4,000. That's usually what they do. So, you know, the the uh, the, uh, the tickets started, you know, they were moving before the Blood and Guts match was ever announced. But when they did, oh, we got it. We saw a little uptick. There was a little, there was a, a, a little more juice to it that was uh, really exciting. And this feud is on fumes. This feud of the elite and the Blackpool Combat Club is is on it's in, it's on fumes, or so I've been told by multiple people, uh, or you know that I've heard like this level of discourse that this feud is uninteresting now. It's boring. Uh, no one's into it, right? You know these sweeping statements. No one is into this feud, and yet this is a very good TV taping gate. Very good dynamite gate for All Elite Wrestling on a Wednesday night. 8,520 distributed is very good. They have to be happy with the number. Because this is what it was for. Once they announced the blood and guts and it was the Elite versus the BCC, tickets started moving more than they already were. So we, you know, I don't know who's sitting around going, here's the thing about, and it's interesting because I was having a, a, a discussion just before, um, just before uh, uh, um, coming on in regards to, you know, talking about, you know, criticism, right? 
Oh, you know, spe- specifically in wrestling, right? But you know, um, you know, and, and the thing that I've l- come to learn to do, I, and I'm not going to say that I was perfect out of the get go. And I think it's the more you do it, the more you're you you know you you're, you're able to make your hand at it. But when it comes to to criticism, when 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 the, one thing I've learned is to make it clear when things are about you or myself. You know, it's one things that are about me. Let's put it that way. And yet remain fair to what is observable when things are working against your tastes, okay? One of the, I I think, you know, we can directly point to the acclaimed. If you've listened to my reviews in the past, you know the the acclaimed stuff. I, I don't particularly care for it. It's not for me. I like when they wrestle. I like Anthony Bowens. I think Max Caster's improved and, you know, good for Billy Gunn uh, for getting, you know, for, 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 for getting, an, you know, this kind of push slash, you know, run at the very least, uh, you know, at this stage in his career. Like, this is all fantastic stuff and I can appreciate these things because these are observable things that you're like, you know, I can be, you know, and they're, they're things that come, more than observable, they speak more to me than the shtick and the, the, the rap music videos and, you know, and the scissor me stuff, which is not for me. But observably, I can't shit on the thing because it's working, because it's one of the most overacts in the company, got themselves, I've put the acclaimed over so much on this review, you'd swear I was a fan, but I, it's not for me. I appreciate the efforts, I like the guys, I see what's happening, but the act in and about itself doesn't speak to me. But I can't sit here logically and, and, and honestly, and, and tell you, hey, I'm providing you with analysis and tell you, you know what, the acclaim shit sucks. I can't. That's not proper analysis. That's not proper criticism. So when I see people and people who place themselves in the quote unquote wrestling space as knowledgeable or have analysis and, and, and the thing that they're talking about is, you know, how overwrought the elite feud has been, the elite and the BCC feud has been, and how tired we are about it, and how no one cares about it, and how it's on fumes. And it has been systematically the most interesting thing on AEW television for the past months. Even before, even going back into April, whenever this started to bubble up, it was the most interesting thing they had going. It's a thing that popped quarter hours and it's a thing that moved tickets. We have proof. This was the blow off. This is clearly, we're going to talk about the match itself. But again, I want you to listen to, to, to reason to, to like, there are people, there are folks who are unable to separate their feelings from the observable things that are working. I could I could sit here and tell you if I really felt it, you know, elite BCC feud kind of stinks, but geez, it's doing good business. So you can't say it's running on fumes. You can't say no one is into it. Those are things that are observably incorrect. Because the data will prove the opposite. The crowd reactions will prove the opposite. Everything in this in this elite BCC feud was fantastic and has delivered some of the best matches in AEW this year. One of the best matches on Forbidden Door this year was a BCC elite match. We have to stop with this. We have to stop pretending that just because you don't like something means that it is, you know, observably bad. Both are possible. You can dislike something, but realize that despite that, it's still working. There's still something positive to glean out of it. That is possible. And that is good criticism. And yes, I'm going to be doing this tonight, today, as opposed to last night. This is why... I'm, and again, this is another reason why I don't like doing the instant reaction thing. And again, I'm not shitting on people who do. I don't shit on people who do post shows and there's an audience for that. And look, I, you know, I, I, in any way, shape or form, am I, am I not sitting here? I am not sitting here to say that 
all, you know, post shows are worthless. You know, Jesus, I've done, that's how I got started. But I'm at a stage where I'm like to, I like to sleep on it, like to wake up fresh the next morning, reread my notes, because I take a shitload of notes. And you know what? Okay, you know, and just place things together in my head and come up with something that I feel is maybe closer to uh, to a well-rounded opinion as opposed to this sucked. Because last night, if I had sit down immediately after the show, uh, there's probably some things that I would have just outright dismissed. I had time to, to absorb, to think. Sleeping on it, man. Hot take culture has poisoned us. Taking the time to have a well-rounded, thoughtful opinion is good. I already need a sip of water. We're 11 minutes in. I'm going to tell this show felt like, and I, I hate to use the term, and I want to make it clear that I'm using this term as a comparison as opposed to something that should be included in the vernacular, in the jargon, right? This show felt like, uh, like the end of a season. It felt like a season's, a season conclusion. Because I feel like next week, everything in everything that because of everything that happened here, we're going to start out fresh with a whole bunch of stuff and start building to the August shows. Well, all in. I, I, bear with me. All out is not in August, but they're a week separated. Bear with me, please. <laughs> but I feel like this is how it wrapped up, right? And I don't want to say, oh, it's the season conclusion of or. You know, the other, you know, WWE uses that and I find it cringe as hell when they do it. Uh, you know, when they talk about, you know, the the season, uh, you know, the season beginning of, oh, what, what, anyway, I don't remember the exact term. It's stupid. I've been watching TV all my life and it's like, I don't remember the exact term, you know, the new season of, it doesn't matter. But it does, but my point being is that everything, there's a lot of things that feel wrapped up or we have significant bumps to move us into new territory, new things. This felt like an important show for AEW. And there's a lot of shit that was happening here. We're going to get into it. FTW title match started off. Jack Perry defeated Hook to claim his very first singles gold in AEW. Despite the fact that FT, the FTW title is uh, unsanctioned by AEW. But he still got it. He defeated Hook. He did not only did he win the title, but he snapped Hook's winning streak. Those are two, you know, that the 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 those are two accomplishments that now belong exclusively to Jack Perry. And I thought this match ruled. I was shocked at how much it ruled, actually. Because I thought it was gonna be I thought it was gonna be a little rough. You know, I think Hook is a, you know, Hook has and you know incredible has an incredible base and you know we can't even talk about fundamentals this kid gets it right uh he's still a rookie he's still learning the ropes he's learning on the job in AEW you know this is a guy who hit the you know the uh house show circuit when they were doing the the things right and he was working you know eight nine ten minute matches with Ethan Page I mean you know if you want a solid guy to you know to work off of, you know, Paige is a, he's a fantastic candidate. I'm sure those were great experiences for Hook. Um, so, you know, I was kind of, you know, I was a little, mm, mm, a little, a little worried, but you know what? Big match Jack showed up. That's one thing. And, and Hook was fantastic. I think two fronts. First of all, this was Hook's longest match in AEW, right? At uh, 11 minutes and 40 seconds, according to Cage Match. That's his, but it is his longest match. And quite frankly, this was his best match. Now, did Jack Perry have a bit to do with this? Unquestionably, like I said, Big Match Jack showed up. And when Big Match Jack shows up, there, when there's a big match, he shows up and he delivers. And over delivers. This match was really good. 
And before the match started, Jack Perry had a vignette where he's in the desert burying Jungle Boy. And he's not just burying the gear, right? You see a scene where he's dragging, you see the boots dragging, but you see like there's, you know, there's, there's ankles in there. There's, you know, there's, you know, you can see the tibias. The... <laughs> he's dragging the corpse of Jungle Boy and dropping him in the, uh, uh, in the desert. Gets picked up by a limo. He looks, stares at himself intently and says, is this what I've become? Puts on his eyeglasses, his sunglasses. Yes, this is what I've become. Didn't Jack Perry, and Jack Perry has a thing for burials, right? He buried a thing. No, he opened up, well, he buried Christian Cage, right? And then he, but he had a vignette where he was digging his grave. You know, maybe low key, this might become a thing for Jack Perry. I mean, this guy's, you know, where he starts doing this, this kind of stuff. But listen, even if I think Jack Perry's heel stuff so far has been so-so, you know, I didn't care, especially for his, you know, his opening heel salvo a couple of weeks ago after Forbidden Door. You know, I thought the, you know, the, the, the car chase gimmicks were a little tiresome. But I think this, but this stuff here, this audience, despite what I thought, see, this audience was into Hook beating his ass. This crowd, this Boston crowd, was ready for Jack Perry to get his ass beat. And Jack was bumping. He took those barricade spots. You go back and you look at them, and you're like, Chris, this is nuts. Hook landed, he does a T-bone suplex off of the apron onto the floor. So we're bumping here. Dripping DDT by, uh, by Perry on the floor. Hook mounts his comeback, lands a couple of Germans. And then there's a first ref distraction, which allows like a low blow, you know, one of the leg low blows. Uh, the ref doesn't see it, but Hook manages to stay alive. He avoids a he avoids a pin. But then there's a proper ref bump, and then the you know the TNT title gets involved. Um, well, before that, there's actually a visual pin where Hook covers Jack Perry, gets the visual pin. I think that was important. And then Perry cracked the belt across his head, got the win, and he got the win. With such a shit-eating grin. Uh, listen. I like Perry's mannerisms in this match. I feel like he's... I think he's transitioned very cleanly into a good in-ring heel. I think that, you know, his mic work, his presence still has... He still has work to do, you know, uh, when he's not wrestling. But wrestling? Re I, he gets how to wrestle as a heel. I can't... I, I, you can't fault him here. I enjoyed his heel work in this match much more than anything they've done so far to try to convince me this guy's a heel. I got it. He's great. I thought this was fantastic. Uh, look, if he cleans up his promos, you know, I, I, we may have something here. We may be on to something tremendous with a heel Jack Perry. And Hook, Hook is fine. Hook is absolutely fine. First loss since he debuted in AEW. Let's get real here. He's absolutely okay. And they might... Look. Let him do a rematch. I'd be into it. Get a little more heat on it. This is good. This was good. This was very, very good. And I am still kind of hoping... I'm not going to lie, when this finished, I was kind of crossing my fingers, hoping that Christian Cage and Luchasaurus was going to come out, and that Christian Cage was going to do one of these, and they were going to, he and Perry were going to hug, and, and, and Christian Cage would have, he has to say, if it ever happens, he has to say these words, he says, welcome home, son. You, you know, kind of, because I still think there's, there's value in this. It makes sense in the story because Christian Cage, all he wanted from Jungle Boy was to was to show some life, right? He wanted him to show some 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 gumption, some spark. Wanted to get him to to the next level. Do you have the killer instinct? Now he has the killer instinct. Christian Cage should welcome him back. I think it'd be. And you continue pairing him with 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 Christian, who, you know, off of which. Perry could 
pick up so many things when it comes to promo work because Christian is, you know, he's one of these untouchable guys. But now I'm daydreaming. Let's go back to the show. We have Alex Marvez, Al Scoops, who's secretly filming a meetings between Don Callis and Chris Jericho. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. I'm pretty sure like if I were to whip up my whip up my phone and start, you know, secretly. Well, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's poor form, right? Anyway. Should have put it on TikTok. And yeah. after the commercial, he, uh, he runs up to Callis and Jericho who are arriving uh, at the same time from within the same limo at the arena, which happened earlier today. Um yeah, listen, I mean, these. this is, you know, little basic storytelling things and, you know, cameras and vignettes and I don't know. I like it, but I'm like, I'm just weary. I'm just weary of them. We cut back to commentary. Uh, Taz is upset. He's selling the loss of, uh, his, of his son. Well, not the loss of his son but his son's loss in phrasing don't want to give the impression that anyone died here then we get the whole MJF Adam Cole thing which and the the restaurant thing spicy you have a fear of spicy food a fear of spicy food you have look there's phobias for everything so I'm not you know I'm not going to try and call this out as bizarre you know, have you ever watched the Maury episodes where there was this this chick who was, who had a who who had a phobia of aluminum foil? Like she had a fear of aluminum foil. Now I know a lot of the you know Maury at some point you know did he started hiring Craigslist actors and just like you know Springer used to do and there's but yeah I look. I don't know why I'm talking about that. It was just stupid. And it's always something that stuck with me. Like of all the stupid ass Maury episodes that were out there that I used to watch when I was like, you know, when I was in university or, you know, when I was, uh, um, uh, you know, on paternity leave. Of all the stupid ones that were out there, this is the one that sticks to me. The, the woman who had a phobia of aluminum foil. I'm like, how is this even, like, it's still, I still don't understand it to this day. And I haven't, no, I haven't bothered Googling it or looking it up because I, I kind of want to stay with this, this, this feeling that I, that this is insane and I don't understand it. When I mean insane, I mean just like completely out of left field. I don't understand. It makes no sense. How can anyone develop a fear of aluminum foil? What were we talking about? Oh yeah, MJF's fear of spice. Look, I'm not gonna break down the thing, okay? I'm 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 really not. You've watched it. I believe. I think that this is a, a, a fair and mostly an objective criticism here. I believe this restaurant vignette is the worst of the three they've done. I thought it was stupid. Right? What was the thing? What was the thing with the, you know? Breathe through your mouth because it's hot kind of thing. <sighs> and you have them doing like pulling faces and exhaling, you know, too much. And I think it's dumb. I thought it was dumb. I don't, it wasn't funny. Like it just wasn't funny. I don't even know what, it wasn't edited in a way that was funny either. It was just guys breathing in and out. I thought it was, I don't think that was well done. How was that funny? Is it... Unless it's like a reference I'm not getting, you know, is it, it was it a reference? Even if it's a reference, the right, it can't be funny. The, even, the, even if it's a reference to something, maybe it makes it even less funny because you're like, wow, they, come, they absolutely failed on that one because it, it, in its essence, in its core, it's not funny. Um, but look, I'll say this, this is the... This is crucial, and I think I brought this up last week, and I'm going to bring it up again, because especially off the heels of a very bad vignette, despite the nonsense that happens in the match, the story they're telling about their, their, their bromance and the chemistry that they've, dis, that they've developed is working in ring and with their backstage promos much more, much more effectively than with the fucking vignettes. 
the vignettes are a waste because then they get backstage they they got a backstage interview where they're trading they they have matching gear you know max made trunks he calls them trizunks i got I, I i will admit i popped when he says trizunks i'm like why did you have to go carny why did you pull you know carny lingo why are you doing this for and you have them in your hand trizunks i i thought that was funny that was for me i thought that was funny and then Adam Cole has the matching jackets and they're like, oh, look at us, you know. That was much more effective than mouth breathing because of hot wings at a Chinese takeaway place. Who cares? That was bad. The promo backstage, that was effective. The shenanigans that they do in the ring, MJF being Ricky Morton and, you know, to the Robert Gibson fantastic the dance soft you guys you don't have to ask me and you know i'm not going to spend 10 minutes ranting on it but i can't stand that shit there's a there's a perfectly good wrestling promotion out there that gives you dance offs and you know uh, 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 arm wrestling matches and all sorts of bullshit that you can turn into that you can tune into i don't need this on dynamite dynamite is supposed to be on alternative that shit stunk and i don't want to see it that's all i'm gonna say about it it's it was bad everything else worked outside of me being worried about more and more encroaching on um uh, of more and more encroachment on uh, 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 uh of sports entertainment into aew the match was fine it was entertaining. Got the crowd into it. And, you know, Garrett Kidney was chatting last night. He put up a good point. Uh, he's, you know, I'm going to give him full credit because it's interesting that not that long ago, AEW was using sports entertainment as a bad thing, as a heel thing. But now we're actually doing sports entertainment for for the you know the cheers and appreciation of the live crowd of the audience right is it it's an interesting slope that we've been on isn't it how did we go from sports entertainment bad to sports entertainment good now it's very interesting anyway the the in-ring again it's tons of shtick but you cannot deny that this shit is over. That people are out of their seats. They're popping. They're going nuts. You can't deny that. Even though I'm like, right, okay, let's let's just go in that. You, you, I think we all kind of see through what's going to happen here. Like eventually one of these guys is going to turn and it'll probably be MJF. Because that's his thing. When they get in the ring and they do the shtick and they do the double clothesline and they do all this stuff. It works. And listen, you know, if we end up getting a hot feud because this great, because the because this great team was split apart, and we end up getting a hot feud where we get two guys who want to tear the hell out of each other, I'm fine with that. I am more than fine. I this is what I'm looking forward to. You know, I get like, this is because again, look, I'm seeing bloodline lovers out there saying splitting up the team right now would be booking malpractice, essentially a problem. It would be gross negligence. But the bold thing Tony Khan can do here is not fall into this idea that this has to be this long stretched out story. He's building up a hot act that is going to end in, in disaster for the, for the two and is going to help fuel their singles match. And this does not have to be drowned out for months. This is, what, this is the bold thing that Tony Khan should do. While everyone else is saying, you should drag this out for months and so on and so on. I say don't. 
I say don't. Don't wait till the till the act till, till it starts getting uh, till the till the act starts getting uh, uh, cold or cooler. Because listen, just as as hot as this flame is burning right now, this odd couple thing will burn out just as quickly with the fans. It really, honestly, will. Because if you think for a second that the bloodline has been fire the entire way, it has not. It has not been good the entire way. We can pinpoint exactly where it started to get consistently good and when it started making business for WWE. But it's not because... And WWE, in fact, is one of the worst offenders as to when to kill a storyline. Because they usually do not know when to do it. They don't know when to move it on to... Like, WWE is absolutely, 100%, the worst storytellers. Absolutely the worst. They don't know when to stop a story. They don't know when to create bumps for it. They're terrible at it. Despite what everyone wants to tell you. They are bad at it. So here, I believe the opposite is what you should do. Bring it to a fever pitch. That was very much a fever pitch, what we saw last night. Can we get hotter than that? I don't know. We're going to get the collision match in a couple of weeks against FTR. And I think that's where you pull the trigger. And I think that's where you build Adam Cole versus MJF for one of your two all-out shows. All-out, all-in. Whichever one. But you have to start doing something. And I think it's going to be perfect moving forward. No, don't stretch this out. Do be bold, Tony. Don't fall into these fucking trappings. The act is so hot right now. And we know we're expecting the split and we're expecting the match. Don't wait until then people go. Because these same bloodline lovers are going to go back at it. If we stretch it out, they're going to be like, yeah, man, this is really you losing gas, isn't it? Whew. They should have done that in July. Why did they drag it out so much? You know that's what's going to happen. And the double clothesline spot. When they find, look, they teased it twice. And people booed. And when they finally got it, everyone was up on their fucking feet. What are we doing? Like, you can only drag this shit out so long and move on to something else. And while MJF is a fantastic babyface, he's convincing me, he's a heel. And he's going to shit all over Adam Cole, and that's what, that's what we want. And Roderick Strong's the last to factor into this in some way, shape, or form. I don't know how yet, but, you know, him popping in last night going, <laughs> you know, trying his best to emote. <laughs> God bless him. Thank God he's such a good pro wrestler. Am I right? <laughs> oh, listen. This is where I'm at right now. I think this is a great angle. I think the matches are what they are. They're not, you know, it's not keeping me up at night, but it's getting the audience excited. It's getting people excited. It's getting the fans excited. But what are they excited for? They're excited for the turn. They're excited for the match. You know, what, what is it? It's like live fast, die young, leave a good looking corpse, right? That's the, and I feel that's what we should do with this before bad sentiment starts developing. And then when we recap this in three years, like, yeah, you know, it started off really strong, but uh, man, it sort of petered out. Like, in three years, if we're sitting here saying, man, this, this just came in, a house of fire and a torch to everything. What a great angle we had. And, just, and then it led to the, the, to the feud and the match and so on and so forth. That is a much better overall analysis of the thing. Rather than sitting here and going, they can't pull the, they shouldn't pull the trigger on this. They should put this. This should be uh, the main, you know, they should drag this out to double or nothing 2024. I'm like, this is fucking nonsense. Nonsense. It's 
So look, I, I combined a couple of things here. We're not, a, I broke the order of the show. So we're gonna, you know, I talked about the, you know, the, the, the promo, well, the, the, the interview backstage uh, and the match. So, you know, I've been, I jumped around a little bit. So let's, let's move back a little, talk about Britt Baker defeating Kyla Sparks. Little minute long squash for, for Britt. Again, I was curious at some reactions. I was like, oh, is that it? Is that just a squash? That's all it is? What were people expecting? I don't know what people, I, maybe, I guess people were expecting an angle. But I am completely okay with superstar uh, Britt Baker coming out, squashing a jabron. We love Kayla Sparks. It's not the point. But crushing local talent. Is that better? And um, and and getting you know getting some heat back you know and I can see Tony Khan going yeah this is actually a good idea because I want my top woman in the in the division and don't let anyone tell you different. I want the top my top girl in the division to go out there and get some of her heat back. She hasn't won a singles match since March. Britt, you know Britt Baker who makes everything about herself in the division, right? That same Britt Baker has not won. This is her first singles win since the winter. So, I think it's fine. It makes, the more you think about it, the more it makes sense because she's lost number one contender four ways. She lost, you know, the tournament. If, you know, if, I know the ranking system doesn't exist in AEW anymore, but you can, Think about it in that in that term where you're like, well, Britt has to build herself back up to be a contender again. That's all. I have no issues with this. Were people expecting Mercedes Monet to show up because they were in Boston? I don't know. Does she even still live in Boston? I'm pretty sure she doesn't. Anyway. But I get it. It's the local crowd. Don't, it's fine. Don't have to explain it to me. Oh, to note though, after the match um, of for the uh, yeah, see, I'm all over the place. I got myself all worked up. I have now now I have no sense of right or left anymore. Jesus Christ! We're gonna go back to the blind elim eliminator tag team tournament final. Because after the match, look, Garcia and uh, Guevara go up the ramp, defeated, and Chris Jericho was on commentary. And, you know, he's like, ah, good job, boys, this close, you know, and he's there to, to welcome them. And they just walk past them. So there's still some, there's still stuff bubbling there with Jericho and Callus. And this is going to turn out to be a pretty big angle, I think. But then after that, we get FTR coming out. Wait a second, they don't work on Wednesdays. I thought, I thought FTR were anti-everything that wasn't CM Punk. What is going on? What? The, the, the populace of internet fans have proven me wrong or have been proved wrong or I don't understand what is going on. I have, been, I have yet been told that FTR want to be on Saturdays and only Saturdays. But there they are on Wednesday night to confront their new number one challengers. And Dax and MJF, you could tell there was a little, there was a little more, uh, there was a little more venom to that uh, confrontation than just like, oh yeah, we're gonna talk shit to each other. No, no, you could tell there was a, there was a little, there was a little something, something there. There was a little extra, a little extra chomp, chomp there. So when they, so when Cole and 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 um, so when Cole and and MJF show up on, on Collision in two weeks, like I'm already into this. I'm like, oh. And I think that inevitably in this match, the shtick will have to be at a minimum. Because, you know, Dax, Dax Harwood is a very serious professional wrestler, TM. So, I, you know, I think, look, I'm already jumping too far ahead. And, you know, this, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. Renee Paquette, you know, she's having an easy... She has an easy night. You know, usually she's running all over the place going from set to set. Now she's like, eh. She's with uh, Darby Allen, Nick Wayne, and the best friends. This is all, uh, the, 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 a lot of talk here. All sets up 
what these folks are going to be doing in the Rampage Rumble, as well as an international title match uh, that Orange Cassidy is going to uh, have against A.R. Fox at the request of Darby Allen. Orange was like, yeah, I'll... Uh, Darby was like, you know, A.R. Fox looked after me and so on and so forth, and I want to look out for him now. And Orange's like, ah, we're all right. I'll do it. We're a cool guy. Guy. Cut back uh, to commentary, and Chompy, the Shark Week mascot, is behind commentary dancing, and I am convinced Taz, in his mind at that very moment, was like, I could choke this guy out. You could, I think he was legitimately annoyed. And I think, like, for a minute, he was like, keeping his cool, but he's like, just someone, just give me, give me the cue, and I will slap a Taz mission on this kid. I will choke out this fucking shark. Is Chompy the saddest corporate mascot? Because it's one of those, you know, that cost maybe like 200 bucks, you know, made out of fleece. And the word, like, it is, you'd think they'd have a really nice fucking big mascot, you know, cuddly and, you know, that, that looks like you could give a big hug to with a big fucking head. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like the like the the one that was on uh, that, that showed up at New Japan a couple of nights ago. And look, I said it then, and I, but look, I'm not surprised because I'll tell you what, the Japanese are have the strongest mascot game of any nation on earth. Any fucking nation on earth. No one touches Japan, when it comes to mascots, it, it is ridiculous. They are leagues ahead of everyone. You think, you think Disneyland is pretty fun? Wait till... Head, look, every fucking town in Japan has a mascot. And they're great. They're all great. And that every fucking event has one. Like... Mascots are required, I believe, by law at this point. It's just great. So, Chompy looking like ass is fine. I guess they have to pay Jason Momoa the big bucks. And they have to skimp on Chompy. But Chompy's going to need an upgrade at some point. I'm passionate about mascots. What do you want from me? And then we have the Blood and Guts match. Good night, everyone. <laughs> that, but that, didn't that sound like I was wrapping it up? Like, and then we have this. Didn't it? I, I'm, you know, I'm sort of listening back to myself, and I'm like, wait, that actually sounded like you're about to wrap things up. You know, but no, 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 no. We're, we're we're talking about this. You know what? I like this. I like this a lot. Is this a match of the year for me? No, but I like this match a lot. And you know, as far as a war game style match goes, this is one of the better that I've seen. I think there is a um, there is a a, 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 a a generalization amongst fans, and maybe even newer fans. Maybe this is you know who maybe have not watched like actual war games, haven't watched you know from back in the day, pre WCW and all that, or maybe even maybe they didn't even see like the Ring of Honor ones, the knockoffs, or the CZW ones. Um, there's I, there's this idea that war games matches are like these these insane things like and I don't know what they expect you know there is such a thing as a, as a bad war games match I've seen a couple but there is such a thing as a good war games match and what makes a good war games match good is when it's brutal and violent and people aren't throwing spots this this is not an idea it's not a, a, a context for spot fests regardless of what how NXT WWE transformed the war games into you know stunt shows and flips and all that your you know your 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 classic traditional war games which is what this is was um isn't uh, isn't a, a a high spot spectacular and maybe some people were expecting it but it's it's a brawl it's violent it's supposed to get bloody and it started off great Claudio and Omega both the, both of the guys saying yeah we're, we're we're going the distance on this one that's fantastic and a great exchange between the two i'm looking at i'm looking at both of these boys going i'm like can we have a match can we just have a singles match like can these guys go 20 minutes just for 
for us, the fans. That was really good. Pac comes in next, then Hangman. I like that Hangman and Kenny showed some of their old tag team chemistry. We must not forget how fucking good of a tag team Kenny Omega and Adam Page were. And can still probably be, apparently. Mox comes in next. And I promise you, I'm watching this with Kristen. You can, you, she can vouch for me. I'm watching this. And he's walking to the, and he's walking to, to you know, he's doing his, his usual entrance from the audience. And I'm like, I wonder if he has his fork. I wonder if he has his fork in his boot or something. Because he's been all over Japan and he's got this fucking fork with him. He's got a fork always with him. And he does have the fork. When he pulls out the fork, I'm popping him and I'm going, he's got it. He's stabbing people with the fork. He brings in broken glass. And yes, it was probably fake glass. Because you know why I think it was fake glass? Because Claudio bumped on it. I don't, you'll notice Claudio doesn't do the big hardcore, you know, shit. He doesn't do it. So that, that's how I think, that's how I figured that it was, ah, uh, yeah, it's probably fake. You know, that and the fact that no one was bleeding really didn't puncture anything. And that's all right. Look, I, it's okay. Nick Jackson comes in next and he has a fantastic segment. Nick Jackson, a hell of a worker. Everyone gets thrown into the glass. Yuda Wheeler, Wheeler, Yuda, Yuda Wheeler comes in next and he's got a chair and he suplexes Nick onto it. Matt Jackson is next, then Kineske Takeshita. Then Mox pulls out a bed of nails. And I'm talking like 12 inch fucking, you know, construction grade you know, nails, nails, ones that you need, you know, special equipment to, to, to nail into, it's like, I don't know, I don't know what kind of nails they were specifically, but it's not like just, you know, oh, you know, yes, little, uh, little nails, you know, for drywall, no, 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 motherfucker, these were like the big thing, and Kenny bumps into it twice, he has Kenny bump into it twice, that's sicko. And then to huge reactions, because no one knows who he is, Kota Ibushi comes out. And he comes to the ring. And he does stuff. Let, should, let's talk about Kota Ibushi, right? Because, you know, this was inevitably going to be part of the discourse, whichever way this went. And it went a certain way. And this is how I feel about Kota Ibushi's uh, popping into AEW. I will say... Now, when I saw him come out, I saw him hit the ring. I'm like, oh, he's already in murder Ibu mode, right? Where he just like shuts down, no sells everything. And he's very methodical. And especially when he starts doing this, the, the, the straight right, the straight punches when he's mounting mocks. I'm like, oh, all right. So I'm like, okay, we're, this is where we're at right now. But I think throughout the match, I think he was a little slow. I found he was a little soft. I didn't see the snap that I really enjoy out of Kota Ibushi, and that is part of his that is part of his his moveset, his offense, where he's just like he's laying into people and he's quick and you know strong. You, you know that he didn't do flips again, like in the context of a blood and guts match. If he's not doing fucking moonsaults, it doesn't bother me. I think were people expecting what did I? expect turn it on myself did i kind of expect kota ibushi to climb to to climb the top of the cage and you know fucking dive off of it moonsault yes because that's because that's kota ibushi because that's because the man's nuts but legitimately speaking uh if anyone and i know there's some of you who you know listen to to the to to, to my review and and who don't who aren't as familiar with New Japan or Japanese pro wrestling, but you know the names, right? And you know this Kota Ibushi guy, and it's like, oh, okay, so all of the, you know, Warren and people, they're all excited because Kota Ibushi's going to be there because he's a big deal. 
If this is your first introduction to Kota Ibushi, I, I completely get anyone who goes, I don't get it. What, what, what's so special about this guy? I, I completely get it. I thought this was very underwhelming. It, Kota Ibushi, to me, under-delivered. I don't think this was special. I dare say I'm, I, I have problems calling it good. And we can, look, I don't want to harp too much on his physique, you know, especially compared to moi. But, you know, Kodebushi is like a fucking god chiseled out of marble, right? Usually that, you look at the guy and you're like, you're just in awe of his physique, normally. He comes out, not good. You know, there's not as, it doesn't have that, that definition. Don't, you know, he's a little soft around the abdominal region. The haircut, uh, no, that's the haircut. <laughs> you know, I had, you know, I saw a couple of folks going, what was that goofy haircut? Oh, you know, that's, that's the haircut. Um, so I, I was looking at all this, and I'm like, I get it. If anyone was looking at this, they're like, okay, what's so special about this guy? I thought it was a bit of a downer. It was like, oh. Like, and it's not just because I saw him come out with the physique that he had, because, you know, I was like, look, the last time this guy wrestled, like he wrestled on a regular basis, his last regular match when he was still with New Japan was in October of 2021. And his match after that, then he got hurt, and then there was the whole shenanigans and then his first match back was with the the did the gcw stuff which was fine but you're like oh clearly you know he's not going crazy here he's not going all out it's uh but you know, i see him here and i'm like oh. there you know he whiffed a couple of moves he didn't have that snap about him yes you know he auto bumped he bumped himself into the tax after the match because, yes, it's Kota Ibushi. Who cares? But, you know, I think his performance here was, and his presence wasn't as electric as it should have been. Wasn't as grandiose. I don't think he even got a lot of TV time. But then there's production. We're going to talk about the fucking AEW production in a little bit. But, look... My analysis to the, despite the fact that, you know, I have a soft spot for reuniting Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, deep, rich history, personal, professional, makes me, you know, makes your, your, your wrestling fan heart grow a size kind of thing. I completely understand if anyone looked at this and was like, I don't get this guy. I don't understand. I get it. I don't. I thought it was underwhelming. Yuda, Matt climbed the cage also at some point and Matt does the locomotion uh, Northern Light suplexes and I am on the edge of my seat and they tease, you know, getting thrown off and I'm like, and, and no, the, honestly, I hate top of the, top of the uh, cage spots just because of the history of top of the cage spots. They scare me half to death. And this cage was high. This was a high, high cage. So I was very nervous, but there was ultimately, there was nothing much ado about it. Yuta gets, you know, gets the upper hand and then climbs back down. Why'd you go up in the first place, pal? Um, but that allows Matt to drop some tacks from the roof, from the roof, of the, from the, the, the top of the cage into the, um, into the um, the ring, which, you know, that's a fun spot. That's creative. Look, people are getting bumped onto everything in the ring, on the tax, on you know, all sorts of shit. Then Pac leaves because Claudio's been fucking with him and, and, and Claudio fucks up a spot. Kayfabe, not legit. And Pac is like, fuck you guys, I'm out of here. Unlock, he, you know, gets some bolt cutters and removes the chains and he hits the bricks. Don Callis and sees the writing on the wall and he's like, and he gets his boy out of there. Callis was on commentary and he's like, nah, fuck this shit. And he gets his boy out of there. 
And then the elite demolish Yuda. They beat him up. Uh, they use the, the thumbtack sneaker. Choked with a chain. Big old, big ass chain on top of that. And then the match ends. Now, from this point on, there is mo most of my gripes are going to be in regards to the extremely poor production from All Elite Wrestling's uh, television crew. I thought that, and this is outside of the audio issues that plagued the evening and have become a recurring thing in AEW. I don't understand how fucking hard is to get someone in enter in the world of entertainment who knows what the fuck they're doing to make sure that this audio gets mixed properly. Audio throughout the entire show last night was a disaster. Now, set the table. Let's get into it. Why, dear friends of the Mr. Warren Hayes show, viewers, listeners, why do you think Wheeler Yuta, why do you think the match stopped? Is it because Wheeler Yuta tapped? No, 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 no. Long after the, the bell has rung, Tony Scavone tells us, we have just learned that the match ended because John Moxley surrendered Wheeler Yuta. They did not get the finish on television. You want to talk about a disaster? And listen, production throughout the entire War Games match was completely off. We missed so many things happening because all of a sudden, there's just there's a couple of instances where someone's about to hit a spot, and then suddenly we cut to. Uh, you know, the, we cut to a crane shot of the ring and I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? And then the spot happens and I see it. I'm like, there it is. Why didn't we see it? And there's a couple of moments where Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi are hugging each other, standing arm in arm. The shit that people like myself and Golden Elite fans and Golden Lover fans wanted to see, we got none of it. Matt Jackson brings in a uh, brings in his the the, the the tax sneaker, and I'm like, and it's uh, it's uh, Excalibur who says, "Oh, we brought it." Thank God, because I didn't see it come in. Now I get it; these things are supposed to be chaos. They're supposed to be all over the place, and 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 I appreciate it. But then you should film it. In that regard as well. And whoever's producing this segment should know when these spots are going to happen and where to position the people. That's why you have fucking producers who are there. This spot is coming up at this spot. This spot is coming up. This, this was all over the place. And they managed to fuck up the ending. Not the guys in the ring, mind you. They did their job. But John Moxley tied up in a handcuff, Cesaro out of commission, the two other dudes, the mercenaries, they hit the bricks. He's alone, he's tied up, he's seeing the kid, the little shit. He's seeing his, his young boy getting the absolute tar beat out of him. And he's not giving up. Mox does the right thing. He feels for this kid. Why does he feel for... See, why does he feel for this kid? Because unlike those two other schmucks, Yuta stuck with them. Claudio stuck with them. And why is the elite winning right now? Because the elite, the golden elite in this circumstance, they're friends. They stay together. Mox was really happy to have the upper hand with some angry people like Pac, like, uh, like Takeshita, all people who had issues to bring them in, but... At the end of the day, they were hired guns, mercenaries, who just like, no, no, it's getting too hot. I'm hitting the bricks. And we missed that moment, the moment where Mox is calling out to the ref. We're done. Eh, we're calling it. Because he, he 
I'm the great story bump that we have here is that Mox realizes that the BCC are the only people he can count on. That they are his friends and they're, the, they're his people. That Yuda, young guy, still has his entire future, his entire career ahead of him, didn't hit the bricks. And he took a hell of a beating. That was a very dramatic moment. And we were cheated out of it because of piss poor production. We're not on IWTV, folks. This isn't, I don't know, local indie number 63 trying to mix the, the audio as the stream starts. Look, we got to turn up uh, commentary a bit, lower the, you know, the announcer mic. This is a fucking professional outfit on primetime television. What are we doing? So much about this match didn't hit because production wasn't there to back it up. And that's my main gripe with this match. And this is why I'm probably, you know, not necessarily seeing this as a match of the year and because I felt, you know, there's stuff that happened that I didn't see that probably would have added to, but look, it just, it just happened the way it did and pfft. Was this a great match? I think this was great. I think this is one of the better uh, 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 War Games matches that I've seen, anyway. Right up there. Match of the year? No, I wouldn't say that. And, you know, again, like, you know, the expectations that people have, uh, it's so long. It's, it, yes, these are War Games. Now, could it be, could the formula be tweaked a little bit to account for modern sensibilities there's that that i'm that i'm comfortable with you know instead of you know five minute intervals you could shorten it a little bit you know have the match beyond part b get to the match beyond part faster i think that would be a good thing because that's what you want to see right that's ultimately what you want but you know keep the lid on the cage that's what makes a war game uh, uh keep it brutal keep it violent it's not about spots it's not about it's about brawling. It's about, you know, destroying the opposition. This is what it's about. Like, I like the formula. I like the form. It worked. It was brutal. I liked it. And then on top of that, at the end, now we start getting stories, right? This is what I meant when I, you know, when I said at the start of the show, the review here, this is what I meant when I said that, you know, now it kind of feels like the final episode of the season and we're about to move into some new arcs here. Because, you know, now the BCC lost. Um, and yes, I know Kenny post-match did We Respect You and they hugged it out and all this shit. But that doesn't mean it's canon. If it doesn't show up on TV, it doesn't mean it's canon kind of thing. But the BCC now, this could transition them back into being baby faces very easily. Where Mox, you know, hugs it out and, you know... Do they hug in the BCC? I don't know. But it's could, it could be like, look, you know, my boys. These are my boys. They stuck by me. Just like the elite stuck, stuck with each other. You know, the big lesson that I'm taking out of here is that friends are important. Loyal friends that you can count on are, is important, right? And, you know, he, you know, he wanted to save Wheeler because Wheeler, you know, never gave up. Even in the, as he was being choked as blood was pouring down his face. He never gave up. So that's something Mox can lean into. So this can all be about friends and his own friendship and his own friendship. So then what happens then? What could, what could, what could happen here? Uh, you could have someone come back from the G1, walk straight up to Mox. You know, of course, when the G1 is done, comes back home from Japan, walks straight up to Mox and tells him, you know who wouldn't have walked out on you? And where the hell was Castagnoli? I'm just saying. You got a good grounds here for when any Kingston pops back into AEW to come stir some more shit. And then, look, you, then you've got more stuff out of this as well, right? Then you have, you know, you have Pac walking away. You have uh, Takeshita walking away. You know, is Takeshita done with Omega? I don't know. But these are all residuals that the BCC will probably want some, you know, some retribution on. Now, I know they set up Pac versus 
Claudio for uh, Death Before Dishonor this Friday, but you know, that's that's you know emergency booking. At least they were able to make a story out of it, but it's still emergency booking. <clears throat> um, you can still squeeze some blood out of the stone. I think there's I think there's enough new possibilities and different ways you can go here, and then you can. Is this an opportunity then now that the elite have clearly returned as a unit? They're friends again. There's no more, oh, does Hangman still get along with Omega and all that? All that has been cleared up. They're a unit again. They're tight. They're even bringing in their, their reinforcements from, uh, from Japan. So we've got all of this together. Does a guy... So do we start putting hangman back into singles i think we do do we put the omega back into singles i think we do do we put the, the 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 young bucks back into the tag division i think we do i think we now that we have to spread the stars out again we have to spread these guys out and we have to get them we have to get them back on top of things now we have to re-inject them into top feuds top spots on the card there's two huge pay-per-views coming in five weeks, six weeks. I'm not going, oh, it's too, we got to start building emergency, emergency. What I'm saying is that the pay-per-views are on their way and we've got all these people available to do, to go back to singles things or whatever. I There's a lot of possibilities here. You know, the Callis family thing is simmering and something's going to come out of this that will probably impact a couple of members of the elite, but they don't have to fight as a unit, maybe. I think Faction War for now, I think we're good with Faction War right now, and maybe we can go back to individual things, which doesn't mean that Callus can have members of his group fight individual members of the elite. That What I'm saying is, you know, everyone fighting as a group, I think we're good for, with that for a while now, I think. But this was great and I'm really excited to see what kind of quarter hour this did this or not just quarter hour quarter hours this did uh this this feud that's been on fumes that nobody cares for I'm excited to see what kind of numbers it does and there you go that's my review went a little over the one hour mark but went a little shorter than what i was expecting <laughs> i i'm i'm dosing myself more and more guys gals non-binary pals but anyway i'm gonna leave it at that thank you very much for listening and watching one last chance for a like or a subscribe here on youtube.com slash mr warren hayes or a review a rating on spotify on 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 apple Podcasts or whatever uh i of course as i mentioned will be back uh when will i be back when will i be back I'll be back uh, tomorrow with uh, I'll be back tomorrow with a uh, another edition of uh, the uh, um, I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the G1 uh, Climax 33 daily recap. Otherwise, I will be back on Sunday for the collision review. Uh, so hope to see you there. And if not, well, we'll see you next time.